0: The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.
1: Hi and welcome to The Bike Goes On. This is Brian Casey, as always, with my good friend Sondra Bernstein. We are, believe it or not, still here at the Winter Fancy Food Show at the Moscone Center in San Francisco. We have... um, had some really interesting guests, and we have another one on deck for you, Sandra. How's it going?
0: Hey, Brian. Good. <laughs> um, really happy to have my friend Carol on from Rustic Bakery. And um, for those of you don't know, well, actually, I'm going to let you tell all about Rustic Bakery and when it started and how you ended up there and from the beginning.
2: All right. Well, <clears throat> thank you guys for inviting me to uh, be here with you today. Um, for my first podcast ever, which just, is awesome. Just downloaded the podcast awesome. app on your yep. phone so that yep. you yep. can listen to podcasts. Yeah. yeah, just getting into this whole thing. <laughs> so uh, the story is now 14 years old. We started back in 2005, and I had an idea to make artisan crackers to go with artisan cheese. And uh, the idea came to me because... Uh, it was in the Ferry Building one day at the Cowgirl Creamery, and I was amazed and stunned by all their beautiful cheeses that they had available from really all over the world, and really surprised to see so many interesting cheeses that I wasn't aware of that were here in the U.S., made in the U.S., and I looked around at what they had to go with it, and uh, really it was Cars water Watercrackers, and I said, that just wow. doesn't yeah. seem to be the right pairing. So, I was an avid bread baker, and I... As a career? No, I was, as, I was an amateur. Okay, passionate, awesome, awesome. Passionate amateur, though. Mm-hmm. I mean... Had
1: your own starters. At all, oh, yeah. But, yeah. Oh, yeah, for years. Okay. I mean,
2: it was... I mean, I, I was making at home in a sort of jerry-rigged deck oven, anywhere from 8 to 12 loaves of bread a day. So, <laughs> wow. <laughs> what?
0: what? did you do with it
2: all? We gave it away to all of our friends. And, uh-huh. Everywhere.
1: So you just found the process yes. interesting. Yes, exactly.
2: Yeah. Exactly. It appealed wow. to my scientific nature. Right. I at the time was a professional fashion designer. Wow. And we Josh and I owned uh an apparel company that we had had for about 10 years. And so this was my hobby. Baking bread was my hobby but it started to become uh, kind of an overwhelming uh, obsession. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Josh said to me at one point, it seems like you're really enjoying this baking process. Maybe we should think about doing something, either baking or food or, you know, something else. Cause we were, you know, both of us entrepreneurial and uh, enjoyed, first of all, working together. And we enjoyed, uh, you know, the process of being, having our own business. So we started to think, okay, well, what could we do? And it was sort of a eureka moment when I was at the Cowgirl Creamery that day. I'm like, okay, uh-huh. this makes a lot more sense than starting a bread bakery because these crackers are shelf-stable and they have shelf life and um, you don't have to make them at 2 in the morning.
0: Right.
2: <laughs> so they have a lot of lot of reasons to go in that direction. And uh, the, the other thing was I, I started to study cheese and the number of cheese makers from, I think, from around... Oh, 1995 to 2005 had quadrupled in the US. Suddenly there was all this cheese and all this excitement about cheese going on and truly no no artisan crackers to go with it. Yeah, so,
1: the accoutrement wasn't growing as yeah. fast as the cheese. True. Yeah.
2: So, I very boldly made a cold call to Sue Connolly at the Cowgirl Creamery. And said, Who you
1: knew or didn't know? No, I didn't know okay. her.
2: I did not yeah. know her. You know, uh, you know her now. <laughs> know her well. <laughs> and I said to her, you guys have all this, all this amazing cheese, but you don't have any crackers to go with it. And she said, we know. And in fact, she said to me, every fancy food show that they would go to before I proposed making crackers for them, they would fan out getting here to go look for crackers. And really no one was doing it. So she was she was thrilled to welcome the idea and I made a whole bunch of samples, took them to her to, to try. And then we uh, worked together to develop the flavor profiles so that they would be complementary to cheese, not overwhelming to cheese. So the whole idea right from the beginning was that we would be the accompaniment to fine cheese. We didn't want to be... The the cracker that was the standalone cracker. We wanted to be the cracker that you would pair with cheese.
0: Though I can eat a whole box of your crackers, no problem.
2: (laughs) You don't have to have cheese.
0: So
1: at that point, you say, so what makes a great cracker for cheese then?
2: Well, um, I just started with what I knew. And I knew that I knew how to bake sourdough bread. I was making really great bread um, as a hobbyist baker. And I had developed all these different flavors that were you know, my, my bread flavors. And so I just one by one started turning them into crackers and seeing how it turned out. And the, the first one was just a basic sourdough bread um, with sea salt, uh, sel gris actually, gray sea salt from France. And it was a bread that I had been making. And I just said, let's try it as a cracker. So basically just rolling it super thin, and using the same bread dough that wow. I, yeah, that's all it is. Huh. And uh, you know, I had to reduce the hydration a bit to make it into a cracker effectively, mm. and went through a few trials, test runs, and uh, but very quickly was able to develop this cracker bread that was delicious and then the thing just started to snowball then I was like oh my god that works so then I tried my olive (laughs) bread and then I tried my onion bread and all of them were were working so when I went went to meet with the cowgirls and shared these experimental crackers with them they were and being a designer I did a very nice job presenting them I'm sure I developed labels and I packed them and they went in a beautiful big basket and you know i i kind of wowed them with the visual impact before they tasted them but they loved them and they said to us well, they said to me that they would give us a standing order Well, first thing they said is, well, we love these. Where are you selling them? And I said, well, nowhere. I want to sell them to you. They're for you. I think they were under the impression we had (laughs) already started. Yeah. But at the time, we still had our apparel company running. And so it took us about, oh, maybe three or four months to wind that down and start to work on a business plan for uh, the bakery. And so they said, "Okay, look, whenever you're ready, we'll take 50 cases a week. So
1: oh I, 50, 50
0: cases, and, 50. and that's a case of 12 or 24. A case, 12. case well, of 12. Well, I don't even think
2: we knew it at that point what it would be, right. but they said <laughs> <Right>. cases. <laughs> so I rem- I'll never forget because leaving the meeting, I, I remember calling Josh on the way home and I said, honey, we're in the cracker business. <laughs> so it did take us a while to to transition out of the other business we had. And, and we started writing this business plan on how we were going to you know develop a bakery and Honestly, we knew nothing about the food industry, nothing. I mean, we knew how to manufacture linen shirts and uh, embroidered silk clothing. We knew all that, but we didn't have any idea. It was a little daunting because it's food, you know, food right. you eat. And it's, we didn't know the rules or regulations or anything about it. So it took us a while to get up to speed. And as we were working on this business plan, we stumbled on an opportunity of a bakery in Larkspur that was uh, for sale. And it became our original rustic bakery on Magnolia Avenue. And at the time, we had really no idea what we were doing. I mean, I had made up this business plan with all the equipment and, you know, costs involved and this and that. But the piece I didn't know, and Sandra, you'll relate to this, I didn't understand the construction piece, which... Is the bigger part of any restaurant project. Right. The equipment is usually less. Yeah. So I I didn't really understand exactly where we were going. It was very fortunate for us that we happened to find this bakery, and lo and behold, it had the sheeter, the rack oven, the mixer, the the benches that we everything that we needed was there and ready That's to go. That's incredible. And uh, the lady who owned it was it's was eager to sell it, and uh, she had had it on the market for. Oh, I guess around a year or so, a couple of oh. years even, and her original asking price was $200,000, which was fair when you mm-hmm. saw the equipment list and everything that was there. And I said to her, "Well, we have 40,000. That's as much as we can go. <laughs> That's it. That's the top dollar for us." And so she it was she was it was really a very fortunate situation for us because she was looking to shut down her business in that space, which was a wine bar and uh, needed to do it by the end of the year. So we found ourselves on January 1st of 2006 owning our own bakery uh, and ready to go to market.
1: <laughs> but at that point, are you thinking we're just gonna make these crackers? Or yeah. are you anticipating maybe broadening the line a little?
2: No, bit? no, no, no. We only wanted to make the crackers mm-hmm. and in fact, we didn't even want a cafe. That was not part of our plan at all. I mean, hmm. I mean, what sane person would want to open two new businesses <laughs> where they have no experience at all? Right. But Especially
1: the... <laughs> revolving around food. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. So,
2: so the the bakery that we bought though had a small uh, retail component in the front, a little about 400 square foot cafe, and we had to have a retail presence there to assume the lease and take over the business we had to we had to agree with the landlord to run a retail operation there so Josh wanted to do I'll never forget it he wanted to do coffee and crackers and <laughs> I'm like I don't think that's the best use of that space so you know as a startup I was just really eager to let's see some money come in here you know so I said let's do coffee I think I can figure out how to make a croissant I think that big machine that is a sheeter is probably what I need now don't forget this predates YouTube so there was no way to just like right go to your computer how do you make a croissant <laughs> right. I had to run. I got books from the library I read about the process and I really kind of just put it together I was like I bet that machine is the one that you need to do this whole thing it just that made sense so
0: amazing it just it made really sense to me was fabulous <laughs> so <laughs> I
2: I again you know trial and error which is really what baking's all about I I, I experimented making a croissant dough and and finally after a few attempts got good at it And, you know, we were using the best possible butter, Strauss butter, and really great organic flour. And I just, you know, managed to figure it out. And uh, we ended up deciding, Josh was against having a cafe. He wanted to sublet the space to another operator. And I really wanted to try, you know, selling the coffee and croissants and see if we could make some money at that. And um, my parents, who were a part of the original uh, founders of of the bakery, we, Josh and I were arguing about that, whether it made sense for us to actually open a retail cafe in addition to the wholesale bakery at the same time, and Josh was opposed to it, and I wanted to do it. And my father said, okay, look, your mom's gonna do the books. We'll keep all the information separate. We're gonna run the cafe. We're gonna run the wholesale division. In six months, Carol, if the cafe isn't making money, we shut it down and find someone to run it. So that's how we got through that first struggle. It's like a reality it's show inc- competition. It is,
1: it's incredible. <laughs> it's who survived.
2: So the first day we opened, I'll, uh, I think we cleared $500. And I said to Josh, Oh my God, do you realize at the end of the month if we're open five days a week, we'll have fifteen thousand dollars? I was like, This is amazing. <laughs> this is fantastic. How could we have ever thought not to do this? So he got on board with the idea. And in fact, he helped me with uh mixing breads and, and doing things. So that for better or worse, that's what happened. We started a cafe at the same time as the wholesale business. It's so fun. Yeah. I know isn't that amazing? Were you looking yeah. to fill
1: a uh, a hole in the market, but then sort of take on this other thing and and do it successfully without any experience whatsoever.
0: It's amazing. I mean, people are going to school for years and years and years to learn all
2: this stuff. Oh, croissant. Croissant. Uh, Yeah, they're they're tricky to make, for sure. Yes, yes. It's the hardest thing to make because uh, the proofing piece is difficult. You have to proof it just right so that you don't lose the butter and keep the layers, all that. So that was just trial and error, really yeah i i I look back on those days and i i compare it to those stories you hear of women lifting the car off their child (laughs) (laughs) because i felt like you know it was this like weird phase of my life where i just you know had to keep going forward and just you know it was i could never do it again that's for sure it was crazy
1: and what was your who were your first customers is this is this pretty much walk-by traffic, or was it a destination where people had heard about...
2: So the, the, you mean the cafe part? Yeah. Okay. So the the place had always been a bakery, Mm -hmm. okay? And it's in a very exclusive area of Marin called Ross. Yeah. Okay. And the person that we bought the bakery from had decided to turn the front into a wine bar, and the idea was... So it's, a, it's about a 3,000-square-foot space. So 400 square feet is the, baker, is the cafe part, and the rest is all bakery. And it always was a bakery. But they decided to turn it into a wine bar and try and find a baker to rent the bakery. Oh, that was that their part. plan. That was their idea. So the wine bar was not a success. And as soon as we took over and put Rustic Bakery on the window in very bold font the neighborhood was like, oh, good, there's oh, bakery a bakery again.
0: Wow.
2: <laughs> yeah, so Ross is the kind of place where houses don't really change hands very much. Families just pass them down. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as soon as it was a bakery, everybody who lived there knew it as a bakery, and they immediately lined up to get their coffee and croissants. And it's still, it is my most favorite treasured location. Mm-hmm. I When I'm there invariably people come up to me and hug me, just like I'm sure they do when right. you go to your restaurant, Sandra. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, they all feel so attached to the original, you know, location. That yeah, they're invested. They are. Yeah. Yeah, they love and it. And how many locations now? So we have four retail cafes in Marin, and then we have our large production plant in Petaluma, where we do all the package products. That's incredible. And I'm
1: assuming you're not just selling the crackers... Um, i mean you 're selling not just to one cheese maker at this point
2: oh no, no, they 're actually available, of course, across the country. We probably have about forty distributors. And we are even international at this point. Wow, it's incredible,
0: and and the line has expanded.
2: It has, and uh, we it's expanded and it's contracting at the same time. So mm-hmm. we've tried a lot of different things, and uh, what we've decided to do is we have categories of products. So originally, when we started with just the flatbread crackers, we had eight flavors, and now what we've done is we've focused it down to the three top sellers, and. It's, this is the first show where we only have the three top sellers. It's been Mm -hmm. a process. We, uh, we went down to six, then we went down to five and now we're down to three. But what we've done is we've taken two of those flavors and we're offering them in a different size format. So we're, we're, we're adding things, but at the same time we're focusing on what people really like because we want it to turn fast in the stores. And if you have a flavor that sells slowly, then it could get to be a little bit old and it just it doesn't make sense. We just want to make sure everybody is getting the best quality product that we can offer. And do you co-pack for anybody else? Not really. We do have one private label project that we're doing that's mm-hmm. pretty large scale, um, but usually no. Mm-hmm. We are pretty much at capacity all day long, all year long, wow. doing and our own one products. One shift,
0: two shifts.
2: We actually have three shifts. Wow, it's round the clock. Uh, but we are dark on Sunday, okay, so we so do everybody... still have a little bit of space to grow. <laughs> uh, the holiday season was brutal this year, though. Was we, it? Yeah, we we just really struggled. So uh, the exciting news for 2019 is that we are uh, we are renovating the bakery. So the bakery is 25,000 square feet, and uh, we found a space nearby us, about a m- two minutes drive which is 22,000 square feet, completely built out with pallet racking throughout. Beautiful, beautiful facility. And it's available for us, we, we leased it. So we're moving all of our finished goods, all of our packaging, all of our raw ingredients are gonna live at this new warehouse that we have. And I'm in the middle of renovating the entire 25,000 square feet to become all bakery. So right now about half of the space is warehousing. So that's all going away right. and that because that sense. facility is uh, SQF approved. Right. And so we can utilize it, the entire space, for food production. Because we were trying to decide, well, should we open a cookie bakery separate from the cracker bakery and just, you know, divide the business that way? But when I started thinking about all of the construction needs with grease traps and ventilation systems and everything else that we already have in place at Cypress, it just and then this this place just lo and behold became available right That's in front incredible. of us, it was incredible. It, it was a com- like
0: all your stars are just lining up. right? Yeah. Doesn't it seem like that? <laughs> it does. We're in a fairy tale.
2: <laughs> it yeah. really has been that kind of a business. I must say it seemed as if someone else was actually putting everything in You're place. you like watching someone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been very, very, I felt very fortunate through the process. And this most recent thing, I mean, we, the warehouse is 100% ready to to move into, um, beautiful, be- I mean, everybody laughs when I say beautiful pallet racking, but I get excited oh, about palette huge. racks. <laughs>
0: exactly. Now, do you, are you going to have to shut down baking while you're renovating?
2: No, it's a pretty minor renovation. Oh, perfect. Have, Uh, Have you ever toured the plant? I have not. Okay. Yeah, you need to come on over. You guys should both come over. Yeah. Come take a look. So it's a matter of taking packaging equipment out of the bakery room, moving it into the warehouse, because the packaging equipment is huge when you're doing the different types. We have seven packing lines, all automated, and it's kind of cramped in the bakery room right now. So by taking that out of the bakery room, we can then uh, put more ovens in the bakery room. So we're going to be adding another five uh, rotating rack ovens and uh, one more packaging line. And then we'll be able to really uh, get a better uh, flow through the space.
0: Now, how did you even know who to hire for that? I mean, because (laughs) so wait, okay. So you're doing 50 cases a week, right? You get that done. They're thrilled to death. Yeah. You've got it. Well,
2: going. okay, so so I was very lucky in my timing because when we launched with the Cowgirl Creamery, it was in October of 2005, and the product sold through really well. They were very happy with it, and they said, oh, you guys should come do our uh, little cheese mongers party that we do every year at the Fancy Food Show. Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh, what's that? And They said, well, every cheese maker and every cheese buyer and every cheese store in America... Clamors to get into this very elite party that we hold yeah, every year. I don't think
0: I've ever been to that party. Oh, it's so once. fun.
2: It's real fun. Yeah,
0: I don't think I have been actually. Where do they have it? They have it at the Ferry Building upstairs oh, on the mezzanine. Yeah, that oh, mezzanine fabulous. that room
2: that over. And it's it's. Is uh, that today? It was on Saturday. Oh, we missed it yeah next year yeah it's fun um i'll i'll let you know next time because they'd love for you to be there very fun so we went in and we had a table and we had our crackers and uh you know sue and peggy just such great support and mentors and you know helped us get going and there we were with all these people and you know the cowgirls validated our product they were like if the cow is good enough for the cowgirls it's good enough for all of us so suddenly we found ourselves with all these people who <laughs> wanted the crackers, and um, it was it was challenging in uh, the beginning, so hard to to manage everything between starting the cafe with the croissants and then getting the crackers made and then getting oh, them somehow and just all the packaging. Oh yeah, it was.
1: Well, <laughs> in the recipe, so you have your recipe that you're used to doing at home. How do how do you figure out scale. how to translate that to a larger scale? Because I know that's a real challenge for some people
2: well it it wasn't at all challenging. Um, baking is different than other types of production of food because we use what's called Baker's math mm-hmm. And so your formula is a scientific or mathematical uh, formula. so if you have if you want to make You know, my original batch size was probably 10 pounds. So if I wanted to say, okay, you base it on the size of your mixer or you base it on the size of your um, bags of flour so that you keep it simple, like you might want to do a 100 pound mix next because flour is 50 pounds each. So there's a technique called baker's math where you can then take, okay, if my flour is 100 pounds, then all of the other ingredients are going to fall into line this way. It's all percentages. Right. 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 So it's pretty easy to scale up baking. Okay. But
0: but you need more bodies, you need more people watching the
2: ovens yeah. and we did it little by little. Yeah. I mean it's baby steps. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Organically we like to yeah. say. Yeah.
1: And who's designing the labels?
2: Me. Yeah, you you did everything. Well Josh pretty. was a huge help. He He was
0: playing the guitar in the background. (laughs) No, you know what Josh
2: did? And you just cannot downplay this because he's amazing. For example, um, we were working different shifts at the time. And uh, I was doing the morning shift, going in to to bake the croissants. And um, then he would come in in the evening to mix the flatbread. So we truly were two ships passing in the night. and one day, uh, a fellow named Jesse Cortez, I don't know if you know Jesse, I do know okay, Jesse. he gave me a call at the bakery at about three or three o'clock in the afternoon. And we were shutting at four o'clock at that time. And he said, hey, I'm over at Paradise Market here. And I'm tasting these crackers. They're fantastic. I'd like to come talk to you about them. And I'm like, well, I'm really tired. I don't know. <laughs> he said, no, really, really, I'll, I'll come right away. So he came over. said, I, And I said, all right, I'll show you around the bakery. And He's he's like okay well this looks great and I love your crackers and you know I'd really like to take them to our uh, to my to my company and start to distribute them for you because at the time the only ones who were selling them was Cowgirl Creamery and uh, he worked for a large cheese distributor called Cheese Works East and, and West right and he said uh, how would you like to Start selling crackers in pallets instead of by the box, and I'm like, "Whoa, <laughs> that's big <laughs> pallets!" Right? <laughs> and he said, "That's
0: why you love pallet shelving."
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like, "I was like, whoa, I don't know. That sounds really, that sounds really ambitious." Um, and he said, "Well, I think we could sell these to Whole Foods." And I said, well, I don't know. Let me talk to Josh about it. And Josh wasn't there, of course, because he was coming in in the evening to do the flatbread dough. So Jesse left, and and then I I called Josh, and I said, hey, this guy was just here, and he, he thinks he can sell the crackers to... Whole Foods, and we'd be doing entire pallets of them. And I said, he's crazy, right? And Josh says, give me his phone number. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, really, Josh, you think we can do that? And he said, I know we can do it. So he... He, he, Josh all along has been the one that has really encouraged me, given me the confidence, the pat on the back, whatever you want to call it. Just, you know, he just believed in the project so much. Wow. Yeah. And uh, he's also the one who just never thinks about all the, all the logistics of getting anything done. <laughs> he just knows, I guess he knows I'll figure it out. <laughs> I, I think that's probably true. <laughs> he's, he's got the confidence and then I go, all right, well, I'll figure it out now. Yeah. Yeah.
1: How did you first get into fashion and design?
2: Well, I had been an art major in college and, again, wanting to do something a little bit more practical than try and be a, an artist and make money that way. And I love fashion. You know, all, all women do, I think, or <laughs> all young women, all young girls. And it 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 was uh, easy for me to do. Mm. I just started working with i worked with bob mackie in hollywood first Mm -hmm. so i did custom design first
0: (laughs) you just started with bob (laughs) mackie
2: seriously we are in a reality tv show this
0: can't be real
2: it's true like how
0: do you get that job even well i
2: actually won a contest i i was uh yeah i did win a contest in my college in my my uh design school that i went to and uh bob was the judge and uh he he uh liked what I did and and I worked for him for a a couple of years and then I worked in ready-to-wear for about 12 years in Los Angeles and started my own brand it's incredible under the label I was working for with the idea that I would eventually take ownership of that myself and so I worked with them under with my label for two years and then Josh and I started our own apparel company up here in Northern California we moved to Northern California
0: now do you ever watch Project Runway?
2: I have watched it. <laughs>
0: does it remind you of it your It reminds me of days? school, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Apparel, a, it's a great business. It's a, you know, it's a hard business. I bet. And uh, it really does prepare you for anything. Wow. And I remember when we started the, this business, it felt like shooting fish in a barrel. It was so much easier than apparel. That's yeah. I mean, That's incredible. my best-selling cracker, is still my best selling cracker in apparel. Every three months, literally you're recreating yourself. Right. It's, it's a tremendous drain of energy and you never really get a chance to perfect anything because you're always moving on. You have on. to be the you're next are always moving thing. on. Yeah.
1: I was gonna ask her if she missed the fashion industry. I'm gonna, I'm gonna know, probably say to that's a that. no. Yeah. Well, I, I
2: will tell you that occasionally I'll have a dream where I still think I'm a designer And then I'm like, oh my God, why are they paying me? I haven't done a line in like... 15 years and then I'll remember I'll be like oh my god I'm so far behind how could I ever catch up at this point because you know five lines a year right. times 15 I mean I'd be I was so but then then I will wake up and remember okay I'm not in that anymore
1: I'm a baker I'm a
2: baker I'm just a
0: baker doing pallets and pallets
2: of crackers yeah it's a, uh, I think the food industry is just a lovely industry it's to it's amazing in. and uh when I first met the cowgirls of course coming at this from a An apparel background, you move really fast in apparel. So I'll never forget I designed the first stretch denim jean. I was the first one to do a stretch denim legging.
1: My wife wears those.
2: Yeah, a lot of women do. I did it back in 1995, 94, something like that. And we shipped them out to iMagnons and a couple other stores. You know, test little test buys, 10, 10, 15 units to a store. A couple of stores picked them up. The next day we had orders for 10,000 of them. And that's just the way apparel works. Because buyers know when something moves fast like that and it's new, they they, they they know. They know that they're going to sell it. So I remember sitting down with Sue and Peggy and talking to them about the crackers and it's going to be fantastic and I'm going to have this whole wall of ovens <laughs> and they're going to be making crackers all day long and it's going to be amazing. And Peggy says to me, Slow down, Carol. <laughs> she said, it doesn't really work that way in food. You have to take your time. People will come look at your crackers. They may like them, but they, they'll say, I don't have any space on the shelf. I'll come look at them again in six months. So it's, it's been a very, very different pace to get used to. Um, and in a way, I think it's good I had the cafe to keep me busy because honestly, it would have been too slow for me. The whole pace yeah. of how the food industry worked is kind of like step by step yeah. by step, and you layer, and they do well, and then they you get another group of stores, and it, and so the cafes were much more dynamic and fast paced, yeah. and you know just and personal and personal. Yeah, yeah, you get that amazing feedback from your customers mm-hmm. testing new products. You right. know right away what they like and what they yeah. don't like, and.
0: And, I mean, at the cafes now, you do more than croissants. I mean, I, oh, yeah. sandwiches and salads. Oh, yeah. and-
2: it's been that way. Uh, when we first opened, we just had croissants in the morning. We closed at noon, and then we started working on the crackers. But little by little, within the first year, we had already gone into soups, salads, sandwiches, and wow. we were open till 6 p.m., and uh, that's, you know, we have a very, very full menu. We do a lot of specials. We have a lot of, you know, we're very much farm to table, seasonal uh, philosophy, just like mm-hmm. fine dining. We buy the best ingredients we can find, nice. but we serve it fast, casual.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you were doing it before it's time.
2: Well, I think we all had the same, I there's a group of people who had the same mm-hmm. idea. And I think we were kind of the only ones doing it in this very casual approach. Right. And again, for us, it's all, it's very simple food. It's very, it's all about freshness you know we get in our, our stores are so small our cafes are so small we'll get in like 15 cases of lettuce in the morning and we wash it all and then we sell it all and then it's gone and then the next Do day again yeah it never ever gets refrigerated even it just gets washed and eaten I
1: remember hearing about that that there's you would like to get rid of the lettuce I mean without it even having to be refrigerated it's true it, because it's, this, it's, it tastes so much better it's so true yeah. it's
2: so true it's, people take lettuce for granted because they've had refrigerated lettuce but when you grow lettuce and you eat lettuce it's never been in a refrigerator which sucks out all the flavor yeah. it's a different experience altogether yeah wow and where I did never you get you thought about that seriously i know well, i think didn't think about either. it you think about it with tomatoes right you would yeah, never refrigerate totally. tomatoes right. it's yeah. the same with the lettuce so
0: the lettuce that you're getting does that pretty much just come right from a farm it does it comes from county line wow that's, that's where we buy all oh, our lettuce that's fabulous and we
2: also buy it from uh ivc the indian valley college and uh-huh. their organic farming project oh that's great yeah we get it from novato gets it from there and the other stores get it from county line uh-huh and county line stuff is beautiful it is It's
0: always been beautiful i always love their radishes oh yeah i also like their wine i have not had that really oh they rosé is it good I, you know i'm thinking it's the same county line people maybe um
1: I don't think so. You, you know, don't? County Line is a secondary brand of... Four. Oh, it's going to come to me. Give me a minute. My brain will freeze. But it's a, it's a very well-known established uh, oh. brand, specifically well, for Pinot, and that's sort of their, their um, lower-tiered uh, brand.
0: Well, they've uh, Radio Coteau. The, radio, okay, yeah. so they've gotten the benefit of me thinking it was County Line. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> I respect the quality of County Line, so I, I bought the County Line. Yeah. Now, if I had known it was Radio Coteau... I would have never bought No, I'm kidding. I would have no, bought it. No, are you kidding? I, no, that's what I, I, I am kidding. I would have <laughs> bought it just the same.
2: <laughs> well, I had a, you know, Josh and I, uh, this is a funny story because we're buying product from Indian Valley College. Last summer, Josh and I built a farm, a little farm on our property in Novato and a little a little garden, really, not a farm, a garden. It's all enclosed because we have a lot of deer yeah. and wild animals and things. So it's sort of like a big aviary. It's got, a, a, it's all netted, not netted, it's like this really fine mesh. It's just lovely. And uh, we, we, uh, we got started late, granted. We, we put in our first group of plants. We were supposed to do the fall planting, I think, in late August or mm-hmm. early September. Well, the construction took longer than we thought, and we weren't able to plant until October, end of October, which kind of killed our whole season. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was at the farmer's market at Marin Country Mart, and uh, the fellow who, one of the guys who owns County Line was there that day, probably had a call out, so he was there selling the product. And I, you know, I've known him a long time because we've bought lettuce from them for so long and I said to him I walked up I said you know what I have looking at this beautiful bounty of what he was selling I said I have newfound respect for what you do because exactly oh my god this beautiful beautiful lettuce product that he's how hard it takes and you know what he said to me he said well why and I said because we just opened our oh we just built our own garden and it's not easy to grow stuff as it turns <laughs> out I thought you just put the seeds in the ground and you know a few weeks later you had your carrots and but it's you hard know,
0: in a year from now we'll be sitting here and Carol have the trophy of the award-winning <laughs> tomato I and know all I did was put the seeds in I the just
1: ground put and, seeds in and it rained you know, and we it, picked them there it was oh you're too <laughs> um, kind I hope so I hope so No,
2: I think so so Josh is um um, uh, decided that he's going to go back to school at IVC and take the organic gardening course nice. and he's going to get in there and really learn about this. And, uh, you know, we should, uh, be moving along in that area. Yeah, so that's fabulous. Josh might deserve the medal, not me.
0: Okay. <laughs> I, I agree. I mean, we started farming about eight years ago. And I love your garden, it, by the way. It's the one, uh, the little one where you have the, the one room. Yeah. yeah. So the, fun it, you know, it changed everything. It changed our attitude about, you know, waste and about Mm -hmm. how hard it is. I mean, we certainly, it's not even 5% of what we need, Mm -hmm. but just the fact that it's there and we can do it. And yeah, it's pretty special.
2: Yeah. It's, it definitely, you definitely have newfound respect for the people who grow our food. Yes. Because you do, you do take it for granted. You do. You walk through a farmer's market and you see all this amazing produce and you think, oh, well, that's what yeah. it is but right. it is a real skill to grow yeah. the to grow things and then what david said to me was yeah you know it's one thing to grow it but we also have to try and figure out what you guys want to buy right because you know mm. right we, we might be able to grow something but if the consumers aren't interested yeah. that's the yes. that's the challenge for someone who's an expert grower is then making sure that you're focusing in on what people actually do want to purchase
1: right
0: yeah and Different people's levels of business change how much you need. And, you know, we also learned about seasonality is like, you know, there is something about seasonal food. There's a lot about it. Mm-hmm. But if you plant late, your season change, you know, mm-hmm. if it's beautiful and you still have tomatoes, the end of October, November, mm-hmm. you don't expect that you have that then. Right. But so it's still seasonal because it's growing here. Mm mm-hmm. But it's fascinating how because we would never serve a tomato on a burger, and we still don't, ever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But because we would be like it's out of season. Right. But that may not be true anymore. Maybe in season longer and longer, especially with global warming.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. a factor for sure. Yeah.
0: And then um packaging. You started your packaging and very simple. Mm-hmm. I mean, I actually tasted the crackers. I'm thinking that I did a tour with Jesse at Cheeseworks West. Okay. And I think it was pretty soon where we were using them as a distributor mm-hmm. with the jams. We right. We were there, but we did a tour of the warehouse, and I think when we were there, we tasted the crackers.
2: That probably and was back in 2006. It
0: would be, because in two thousand. Well, in later in 2000 and well, in 2007, we stopped using distributors. So it was probably about a year right in there. Mm-hmm. And that was then they were wrapped in simple plastic, mm-hmm. raffia. Se- yeah. Cellophane. Cellophane. And, yeah. Cellophane. And um, they were fragile. Mm-hmm. You know, you really had to be careful. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we, we were, yeah, we were buying boxes and um, that's when we had the fig pantry. Yes. And Josh, when I was asking him to um, come, he's like, "You know, you were like one of our first customers that's that true. bought." And I said, "Yeah, well, we still buy them. We still serve them in catering. Nice. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, there's a lot more crackers out there now. That's but true. There the are consistency and the level and the
2: commitment. Well, we continue to be the only organic wow. sourdough." Cracker on the marketplace—that's incredible. The, I mean, I haven't seen any others. So, you know, a lot of a lot of our competitors are conventional flour. We believe in organic, mm-hmm. and uh, the sourdough process that we use to make the crackers is uh, very challenging. It's a 12-hour fermentation of the dough. So we mix the dough you maintain the starter now instead of maintaining the starter in buckets like we used to we have tanks <laughs> that a fermentation tank and you know it's it's a lot of extra effort to go to most cracker companies don't do that they don't it's it, crackers are typically non-yeasted products right so with ours because they are yeasted they have the uh they have the sourdough component which creates flavor they have the fermentation time that creates flavor and when we bake them we actually get oven spring so th- they're bubbly and they're right. uh they're
1: crunchy the, and the
2: yeast is yeah. uh responding in the oven it creates this flakiness to them that you don't find in a typical cracker
1: well what's next for you then
2: well wait they went to cookies
1: (laughs) oh my goodness
2: and delicious little cookies as they are we do have a full line of uh, sweet products And our holiday line has become really an important part of our business. So we do things like gingerbread, um, glazed cookies. We do all kinds of sugar cookies in fun little shapes. We Mm. have uh, two European cookie machines that make uh, little cutout cookies. And so we do all these little whimsical shapes, cute little butter cookies, just like, you know, your mom would make.
1: But those are sold in the bakery or in the cafe or those are distributed? Those are distributed. Distributed, Okay.
2: Yeah, and I, we did. We did uh, about a hundred thousand jars of cookies for Starbucks this year.
0: Wow, of little
2: gingerbread people. Yeah, that, we call them ginger babies.
0: Ginger babies. <laughs> and so, how long has Scott been with
2: you? He's been with us since 2015. Uh, no, 2014. 2014. Yeah. And he was four full at years. Cremenelli. Uh, Point raised before that. Point raised, and then Cremenelli before that. Creminelli so before he, that. yeah, he was uh, in the charcuterie first, then cheese, and then he came to yeah. us. How, what a perfect.
0: Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, he thanks his,
2: his he thanks his lucky stars every day that he has a shelf stable product now that he doesn't have yes. to deal with all yes. those no. uh, spoilage yeah. issues. Cold, that, cold chain. The and... worst thing that happens to our product is it crumbles <laughs> or right. breaks. Right. Right.
0: Yeah, and I mean, but he's really a master in he is yeah in getting things where they need to go, and he's pretty much operations.
2: Well, he is he is vice vice president of sales. Wow, and uh, he works really closely with me on developing all the packaging too. Okay, wow, so it's it's my vision, and he gets it done. He actually, uh, I bounce things off him all the time. He's great to work with in that sense. He never he never tries to uh, overshadow my direction in terms of merchandising or how I think the product should look. He definitely uh, respects my vision, but he's great at um, just his opinion. I value his opinion so much. Oh, that's yeah. awesome! Yeah, he's got a great eye, uh, and as far as his display and merchandising goes, I mean, he's he's. I told him the other day he's a genius at it. Oh. He got our booth all set up, and uh-huh. he was texting me pictures, and I'm like, it looks fantastic. So, oh, that's great. Yeah, I really trust his judgment on that.
0: And what year did you start coming to the Fancy Food Show?
2: We have come every year since 2006. Okay. And originally, it was a two-foot section at the Cheese Works booth. Oh, right, and right, right. I was telling my dad, who <laughs> is also one of the founders in, in the company, I was telling him yesterday about this, and... I said, this time at the show, we have a 30-foot booth. So that's where we've gone from two feet to 30 feet. Yeah. And uh, we need the space. We really do. We have a big, big line, a lot of customers.
0: Did you ever in your wildest dreams
2: imagine you would be where you are today? No. No, I never ever thought we'd have four cafes all I wanted to do was make crackers for the cowgirls. That was my only ambition, <laughs> <laughs> and and it it just really snowballed. It just goes to show you when you, if you have something that people actually need, um, the right. demand creates itself. Yeah, and see, finding
0: the niche, you know, Right, finding, the niche. exactly.
2: So as I walk these these floors and look at all these products, and some of them are just so out there and crazy. It's yeah. like, and you can see this all this marketing money's been put into it to, mm-hmm. to launch this new idea, whatever it is. Um, You know, it's like if you, if we've done it very slowly, we've grown little by little and expanded the line as we've mastered one idea, then we move on to the next. And, you know, it's been a conservative approach, but it's, it's slow and steady, slow and steady. It's made, it's made for a profitable business.
0: Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. One of these days we are all going to go on a cruise together. We keep oh, saying that, that would year be after so fun. year. Where are you heading this year? You must have uh, a plan. We do
2: have a plan. Josh and I are very excited. We're doing a uh, Western European cruise. We leave out of, board, out of uh, Barcelona, okay. several stops in mm-hmm. Spain. Then we head to uh, Portugal, uh, Morocco. Two stops in Morocco, Portugal. Several stops, Bordeaux. Then nice. Normandy. Seventy-fifth anniversary of D-Day, by the way. Oh
0: wow! Then
2: we head up the River Thames and we overnight in London. Come back out, go to uh, Bruges, Antwerp, uh-huh. and end and in Amsterdam. So in
0: Antwerp, you have to go to the Jane.
2: Oh, okay.
0: Restaurant. Okay. Amazing. Oh, is this Jane? Did John, Sergio? John Herman. wanted to go there when we did go. Yeah. We did go. Okay. It was over the top. All right. Over the top. We're we talking
1: about like huge cuts of meat? Or, no, is this, is no, this no, old recipes? That's Joe recipes? Beef, that's uh, Joe
0: beef in Montreal. Oh, yeah. Um, the Jane, Sergio. <laughs> have been there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sergio Herman is um, really awesome chef and he has this restaurant which is a very high style restaurant Mm. in an old church oh nice and the kitchen is behind sliding glass doors that open and close for the servers and we sat at the big table right in front of the window and it's a very gastronomic you know there's a place for a course a long course menu and Mm -hmm. there's a place to have mussels and frites Mm -hmm. in those countries it was phenomenal.
1: Okay. Good. I,
0: I, I'll remind good to know. you. Yeah, I'll remind you. It was awesome. And what cruise line? Seaborn. Seaborn. We Ooh. love Seaborn. I have not done Seabourn yet. We've,
2: this will be, I think, our fifth or sixth cruise with them. And it's just lovely. Okay. Everything about it is lovely. Wow. Yeah, I know.
0: It's so nice. I mean, it is pretty heavenly. It really is. Yeah. 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 One of these days, we're going to We got to do together. that. That would be yeah. super fun. It would be fun. We would have a good
2: time. We would be. It would be. Yeah so did you say what do you see next
1: yeah i mean what's on the horizon for you
2: well i've got the renovation of the uh bakery this year 2019 and then we also are looking at a location in sausalito that i'm very excited Mm -hmm. about and i'm hoping we'll get it it's a it's a, a building on the corner of bridgeway and princess street and it is uh, it was a Starbucks. And what happened was there was a fire last summer. And I believe Starbucks is not able to reopen in Sausalito. They are anti-chain. Oh, uh, So the building is, uh, the opportunity is there. And it's an amazing location with uh, great tourist visibility. A little different than any of our, our other stores. Because our other stores are all really local restaurants. Mm-hmm. You know, the local residents frequent them. But this could be really great for the brand also to just get this mad influx of tourists seeing it for the first time perhaps and just, you know... Get the brand out there even more than it is already mm-hmm. josh I know, laughs i don't know how josh laughs when i say that and <laughs> he's know. like carol you're we you're have our everywhere. crackers on every one of the major domestic <laughs> airlines carry it on their cheese plate we have united delta and american all featuring our crackers so those people who flew here on the plane saw your crackers already
0: so <laughs> So that, I mean, those types of things, how incredible to even get that place like that. I mean... Well, there's,
2: there's something about the crackers that people just really respond to, and uh, they, they, they feel they're special. We do take a mm. lot of time and effort to make them, so I think that they are different than what else is out there in the marketplace. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, we're just very fortunate that we've had these opportunities come our way. Yeah.
1: Have you seen anything out here on the floor of the food show that's kind of piqued your interest?
2: Yeah, we we gathered up a bunch of stuff. I have a whole bag full of uh, interesting ideas. Yeah. We saw some. I saw a wonderful chocolatier I didn't even know existed here in San Francisco. Um, was able to scoop up some Valentine's Day stuff from them. Uh, somebody who's doing private label water and with a social message. You can you can do. We're gonna do Mount Tam. Well, it's gonna be rustic bakery water with a picture of Mount Tam on the back of the bottle and contribute some of the proceeds to the Mount Tam Watershed and they organized the whole thing so that was fun Um, somebody else who can do a custom hot sauce for us so that I'm trying to I'm trying to get away from doing everything ourselves I mean we make our own sriracha it's just at this point as we you know go into store number five it's getting to be too crazy.
1: Wait a minute. Is that sriracha available for sale or do you just <laughs> use that? in your recipes? We actually do
2: sell it at a uh, rustic bakery cafe. It's in one of our sand, but we use it in one of our sandwiches and we also, uh, have it on the floor for people to use with their eggs. And then we, we do sell it, but I really want to get away from, you know, these vats of chilies. <laughs> <laughs>
1: What's in that sandwich?
2: It's a, it's a grilled chicken and avocado on sort of a, um, like a, a panini bread, mm-hmm. and it has the uh, sriracha sauce on it, as well as it uh, being a roasted sriracha chicken that we use.
0: Wow, sounds it, good right now. It's, it's a winter special. <laughs> well, we're going to be like so hungry when we get to dinner. <laughs> so how many employees are we employing?
2: Well, uh, during Christmas season, we had about 450. And wow. now it's cut back to about 400 in the, in the slow, now that we're through the holiday season
0: that is amazing i know it's
2: a, it's a village it's an absolute isn't
0: village isn't that i mean staffing for me is the thing that weighs it's the me hardest down the thing. Most. it's yeah. the hardest thing yeah it's just you know you have people that work for you and you are responsible for their well-being mm-hmm. and to keep them employed and it's a thing you know i think the north star of decisions making good decisions in the business. Yeah.
2: Well, for me, it was getting the organizational chart done and knowing, oh. knowing that I had this different levels of people to manage the business, the businesses. Right. Yeah, because you can't do it all yourself. You just can't. No, you really can't. No. And, uh, you, so you have to have that together and are our, you letting go. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Good job. I'm I'm good at that actually. Okay, I'm really good at that. No, I I, I my belief is you hire the best people you can find and you pay them, them so much it. money so they won't leave. Right. That's my philosophy.
1: I Love that. Philosophy. I haven't done
2: that
0: yet. I try and do that with John, but I don't know. Well,
2: he's here. Twenty one years later, <laughs> yeah. so I think he. Yeah. I think you are doing that. You may not realize it, but yeah. you are doing it.
0: Oh. Uh, well, the fact that he has to put up with me, is a miracle. <laughs> well, this has been so much fun. Yeah, for um, me too. I'm glad that we took care of your virgin podcast. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, you were gentle with me. Thank we you.
0: We will be the first of many. And um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I know that the crackers are going to be in my life forever. Um, yeah, I, I buy them all the time. I mean, I it, I just, like, remember it. And, again, it's not just that the product is good. It's, you know, the people behind the product. Yeah. And um, really committed to what you're doing and the passion. And, you know, it's awesome. Well, thank it's you. It's great.
2: Yeah. Well, it's been great talking with you guys today yeah, about the you. business. Yeah,
1: girl, do you have a website? Do you have one website that sort of directs everyone to everything that's going on?
2: Uh, well, we We don't have the best website. It's a project for 2019. Mm -hmm. Uh, What we have is it's really more cafe related. And so it does have the menu at the cafe. It has our locations. And then uh, we partner with Murray's Cheese in New York. And they do all of our fulfillment of direct orders to consumers. So e-commerce is handled through them. So you get a link to go over to Murray's. And then you can see all of our products at Murray's. And they do a beautiful job with that. That's great. Yeah, that was a Scott Frank idea and that, that was, was that was awesome. a good one because once w- we're struggling so much during the holiday season to get, to keep up with the the multi-pallet orders and then we had to do, you know, single right direct that, to customers right. so that was just it, Anyway, they Murray's that's took it great. over, so that's their business. They're in the e-commerce business, nice. so it made a lot of sense. It was a win-win for all yeah. of us. Yeah.
0: So rusticbakery.com? That's it. Okay, Rustic Bakery and Instagram? Or?
2: Oh, yeah, Instagram. All, it's all about both wholesale and retail, and, of course, we're on Facebook as well.
0: Okay, great. Great. So we'll add this, um, in the show notes and, um, yeah, we want people to go out and try your crackers if they haven't already. It
1: sounds like all they need to do is travel, get on a plane. (laughs)
0: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) exactly.
2: That would be the the most
1: fun way to try them. But
0: that's
2: not just first
0: class, right? No, it's not. Uh,
2: Delta, Delta actually started last year with giving away their cheese plate to their customers. And I think I think that has stopped. I th- don't think they actually give it away anymore. I think it's the a, airlines don't give anything away anymore. I think it's a buy on board now, okay. but it still is the cracker with the uh, cheese. That's great. That's great. Uh, all, all right, right. we're going to wrap it up. Yeah. I'm
1: uh, thank you so much for coming on the oh, show. It was Super fun. So, Thanks yeah. for having me. And we'll yeah. see you around the um, uh, we'll see you around the convention center. We'll see you around Moscone. Yeah. This has been the bike goes on. We. Uh, um, still have i think a couple more guests that we're going to meet from the food show so we'll be looking forward to talking to you next week this has been the bike goes on with saundra bernstein and brian casey thank you